I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, and Jonathan Mules, our business education correspondent. Our guest this week is Stefan Rambeson from Vichy, the advisory and executive search firm. This week we'll be talking about the rivalry for MBA graduates as banks try to steal them back from tech firms. We'll also be looking at the latest on Brexit as Number 10 welcomes people from the financial services industry for talks and also BNP Paribas tries to steal a march on UK rivals. Finally, we'll look at Citigroup and its efforts for gender parity in the workplace, at least on pay. First, though, to that story about MBAs. Jonathan, you had a very interesting story about how the banks are trying to lure people back from the tech giants. This is basically the story of the past decade, back in 2008 and before that. The natural place for MBAs to go was financial services fashions have changed and tech is the new fashionable place but the banks are fighting back yes banks are putting themselves forward and playing the sort of tech industry's game on the kinds of jobs that they can offer which are technology jobs just like amazon and google and facebook fintech is a hot new thing so the banks are saying Come and work for us. You can have just a sexier job. You might even earn a little bit more money. Although tech firms have gained ground and become some of the biggest hirers in business schools, schools like Darden, which has historically had a lot of sort of banking jobs for its MBAs. Last year, Amazon was the biggest hirer. But the banks have found part of the issue has been the salaries that Amazon that was going to offer her matching those big banking salaries. So they have to find these other ways of appealing to people. And of course, no one wants to be a banker these days or hasn't done over the past 10 years because of the kind of reputational damage that the sector took after the crisis, plus the very real hit to some pay levels across the sector. Let me bring in Stefan Rambeson now, who's chief executive of Vichy, the advisory and executive search firm. Stefan, thanks very much for joining us. In your experience, what have banks been doing wrong over the past 10 years as they try to get the best talent, including MBA students? I think banks have had trouble focusing on attracting the best talent. They have invested in it. I don't think MBAs was ever at the top of their pile, at least in Europe. In the US, it's a very different situation where some MBAs will go directly into investment banking or into banks. But in Europe, it's been very tricky. The MBA product is slightly different. And, you know, I think now with the tech boom and the gaffers sort of mopping up a lot of the talent and the banks struggling on a number of fronts, they've had to address that pool. 
And as Jonathan rightly said, they're looking at new ways to attract on the job front in terms of the new sort of digital trend and so forth. But clearly, as you mentioned, there's a stigma to banking and it's never easy to do that. Interestingly enough, I bumped into someone senior in human resources at one of the German banks and they were saying that although they were laying off 10,000 people on the ground, they were looking to hire 3,000, all coming from gaffers and MBAs to really put in digital within the system. So an interesting experience to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone wants people with Google or Apple, Facebook experience these days. Coming back to what they've been doing wrong up to now, I guess one of the anecdotal things that I've heard is that banks haven't really gone into business schools proactively in many countries in a way that the consultancy firms and the tech giants have done so that they don't steal a march on their rivals in terms of hiring. No, that's exactly true. And some have even decided to stop doing it years ago. I think they're coming back to it. They've sort of found out as well through experience that MBAs are very much, business schools are very much a product which is devised for the consultancies. And there's quite a cultural shock that can be seen between sort of MBA students sometimes and, you know, junior bankers who've been in the job for two years who are focusing on moving up, doing deals, and integrating some of that population within front office jobs is sometimes a challenge, which the banks haven't necessarily known how to deal with. I think now they're clearly investing in terms of making sure the integration is done on the best grounds. A quick final prediction from you. Is this going to work, this new charm offensive, or is there any evidence already that it's working for the banks? Look, I think there will be some successes because when the banks have means and when they want to do things, in the end they succeed. So I think we will see progress. But unfortunately, compared to consultancies and the tech world, it will remain marginal. And a final word from you, Jonathan? I'd also add that it's not just the banks changing, but some of the business schools I was talking to London Business School, and one of the things they've done, obviously they have a lot of links with financial services in London, and they've adjusted the course. They do a 16-month course, which is hard to fit the traditional sort of MBA internship in. So they've changed the timing of the course to include that, which makes it easier for the banks to take people on as interns, and that's a good route through for them to find the good quality MBAs. Very good. Well, we'll maybe follow up on this in a year's time and see what progress has been made. In the meantime, thank you very much for joining us, Stefan. Thank you, Patrick. Let's move on now to our second story of the day. And Martin, you have an update for us on Brexit, because not only have you been writing about BNP's audacious initiative to try and steal business in Britain post-Brexit, But maybe we should start with the big event of last week on the Brexit front, as far as the city is concerned anyway, because we had a large senior contingent of City of London people in attendance at Downing Street, where I think this was fair to say this is the first financial services summit of this kind under Theresa May since the Brexit vote happened. And it was a real change of mood towards the city. It was. People described it as very constructive. Getting down to business was what one participant said. There were clear signs that Theresa May was rolling up her sleeves. Another person who was there said that it was really positive that the government was no longer trying to sweep the city under the carpet. 
and was overtly saying that financial services was going to be a priority for the government in the second phase of Brexit negotiations and committing to do what the government said it wants to do, which is reach agreement with the EU on a transition or implementation period that will ease a lot of the pressure that is building up and reaching quite a crucial point in the coming weeks on firms to activate their contingency plans because they feel they're running out of time before March 2019 when you know the UK is due to leave the EU. But if there is a transition period or implementation period, even if it's only 18 months, that takes a lot of the pressure off, means that they don't have to make irreversible moves like moving people or activities onto the continent. So they are happy that the government now seems to be on side. So the big question is whether the UK government can persuade the EU to accept their proposals, particularly on a transition deal, but also obviously on something that replicates the system that's in place at the moment, namely the passporting system, albeit something with a different name. Yeah, I mean, a transition period would be a standstill agreement. So as far as that period goes, if there is a commitment to it in the next couple of months, then that's a positive thing. Now, whether that can be reached, the EU, as we understand, we reported on a front page story in the FT this week, is already drawing up a pretty long list of demands about that standstill period and the conditions that it will require the UK to accept, including maintaining full freedom of movement and having to keep accepting EU regulations throughout that period. So whether that is politically acceptable or not, we wait to see. But Theresa May and Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, in this meeting last week, made it very clear that they've made it a priority to defend as much as they can the interests of the City of London. They went even as far as asking the participants what they thought about the future of the City of London and gave them the opportunity to talk about competitiveness. And several people raised the issue that on a global level, the UK is already losing competitiveness vis-a-vis the US with everything that Donald Trump is doing, not only deregulating, you know, loosening several of the financial regulations there, but also cutting corporation tax to a level where the US would actually be more attractive for a bank than the UK because of the corporation tax surcharge that the UK levies on the sector. So that hasn't gone unnoticed in the banking sector. And several of the leading city figures who were there, including top executives or chairman from Barclays, HSBC, made this point that the UK needs to be aware of how competitive the UK is vis-a-vis not just the rest of Europe, but also the US post-Brexit. Although on that, we understand there was a non-committal response from both Mr. Hammond and Ms. May. Uh, They were in listening mode. Yeah. And to add into all this, as you mentioned, we had a story this week in the FT about, perhaps slightly counterintuitively, BNP Paribas, one of the Eurozone's biggest banks, is looking to actually take market share in the UK and bulk up in the country, which may surprise some people because most of the headlines about banks and Brexit nowadays is about them leaving the UK, not bulking up here. But um, BNP thinks that many of the big foreign banks that are based here will be distracted by Brexit and moving assets out. And therefore, there's an opportunity for them to take market share in corporate investment banking in particular. And they've already been doing some big name hires, like they hired Matthew Ponsonby from Barclays. 
and some acquisitions as well. They bought Strutton Parker, which is a big estate agents for businesses as well as individuals in the UK. And they've got more than 8,500 people here in the UK. And they want to expand their corporate coverage, not just from the FTSE 100, but down into the mid-market. They think it's a big opportunity to provide more corporate finance services and sell more products to the mid-market companies, particularly those that are more internationally focused and have a strong export side to them. Maybe the start of a counterintuitive trend on that front. We'll keep watching that. Thank you for that. Let's move on now briefly to our final topic and a look at Citigroup, which has announced some interesting data about its operations as far as the gender pay gap goes. Now, this isn't anything to do directly with the UK government requirement to disclose the gender pay gap here. We haven't had that data from City yet, but it is a kind of global or at least a partially global insight into their operations. And they're saying, which I have to say sounds slightly unbelievable, that they have only a 1% pay gap between men and women across their operations in the, is it the US, UK and Germany? Is this true? Yes, it's true, but it comes with a big caveat which is that they say they accounted for a number of factors in their analysis to make the comparisons meaningful, in their words. And these factors included job function, level of seniority, and geography of where the person's based. So if you adjust for all of those factors, women and ethnic minorities were paid 1% less than average across the bank. That, though, would be a very different figure if they hadn't adjusted for all those factors, because like all the banks in the world, once you get into the higher levels of seniority, there are far fewer women, and therefore the numbers are skewed to men earning more than women. But City also has committed to several programmes to try and increase the number of women in senior positions. Just to sort of put this in context, you're going to see a lot more banks and other companies coming out with figures on their gender pay gap, not just in the US, but in the UK, where this has become mandatory. Uh, Government has legislated to require all companies to report this. We haven't seen many banks do this yet, but we're expecting a lot of them to do that this year. And we're expecting the unadjusted pay gap to be quite significant. City decided to do this after coming under pressure from a campaign waged by Arjuna Capital a hedge fund that has been waging this campaign against quite a few of the big US financial institutions, including Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, Wells Fargo, MasterCard, American Express. And Citi had initially rejected this, but they've obviously had a change of heart and decided to actually do the work, find out the numbers and publish them. They say it took them six months to do all this work. So whether the others will fall into line now that City have broken ranks, we shall see. But given the headlines that are being made around the world about sexual harassment and the whole Weinstein affair, that issue is not going away. And I think big corporations are increasingly aware of it and that they need to respond. And I think City is leading the way in a positive way. Although we would like to see the unadjusted numbers as well, can I just say? <laughs> I think one data point that's interesting, actually, that suggests that they are ahead of the game, if you like, on this. Women account for 43% of senior roles at City, which is probably about double the tally at the average bank. So 
progress being made? The average across 35 financial institutions that the FT profiled in a recent piece found that women made up just 25.5% of the most senior roles, despite accounting for just over half their total staff. And that compares with 43% at Citigroup. So as you say, they are ahead of the game on that already. Very good. Let's hope everyone follows suit. That's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin and Jonathan here in the studio. Our guest, Stefan Rumberson from Vici, the advisory and executive search firm. And also thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.